Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Friggin, together with Phil Gold, Federal Assistant Vice President of Yeshiva University here on the Nachum Siegel Network. NachumSiegel.com, around the world, on our Sheva, Israel National News, slash radio. And we have another, well, I, I promise not to laugh and chuckle this week at the week of politics. So I'm going to try and keep a straight face as we go on. But first and foremost, uh, Phil, I want to wish you and your former district very obviously probably one of the most Irish districts in the uh, in the city, uh, or possibly around the world, uh, happy St. Patrick's Outside Day. Outside of Ireland, of course. Outside of Ireland, of course. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Thank you. Thank you. A uh, day early, but I'm already celebrating, uh, wearing my celebratory uh, green attire. Um, I'll say this: you know, Jews have a rich history in Ireland, and uh, do I they? You, that's that's uh, that's good to know. Even to today, there's uh, almost two thousand uh, two thousand families still living in Ireland, and as, as a matter of fact, we've actually sort of we've seen Jewish mayors of of Dublin um, in years past, and um, I was very proud to represent Breezy Point and uh, and the Irish Riviera in in Rockaway as a se- an assemblyman. Not as many uh, Irish at Yeshiva University, but but we have uh, we definitely have a few. Um, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to wear green, and uh, my wife tells me I look good in a green tie, so it just works out very well Absol- for me. Absolutely, I mean that's really what it comes down to is we, we wear what the uh, what the boss tells us, and. You know, St. Patrick's Day being a very significant political holiday here in New York City. In fact, I think it's just probably the preeminent political ho- holiday together with the parade. I mean, the, the, a good swath of Manhattan just shuts down on, on St. Patrick's Day. Even more, and now you'll have you know, the phenomenon of uh, you know, St. Patrick's Day and Trump Tower at the same time. So you'll have total traffic chaos tomorrow in Midtown. Interestingly enough, uh, when I was in the state assembly, I actually uh, drafted and sponsored the law to make... St. Patrick's Day, a school holiday, um, to give families again. Remember, it for so many, pass. you know, it, well, <laughs> <laughs> it did not pass uh, some opposition from New York City Department of Education. Something about, you know, just can't take off every day of school. Um, but like, you know, I, we we joke about it, and it has become. And when you listen to the radio in the morning, um, and St. Patrick's Day is not till tomorrow, uh, but you listen to the radio, it becomes kind of like a joke. Um, but there is a, you know, I, Ireland has a, a rich culture and, and a rich history, especially as it re- relates to the Jewish community. And so uh, I think it's important. I know for my old constituents um, that we uh, that we celebrate and and at least give it its due attention and. and uh, I know that, like I said, uh, so many people who I used to represent uh, take this day very, very seriously for them and their families, and uh, I'm excited to continue to celebrate, even Sure, at, even at Yeshiva University. Absolutely, and as we mentioned last week, the issue with the parades, you know, they some march in certain parades, not other parades, inclusive parades, not inclusive parades, I'm here, I'm there, whatever, always, uh, always an interesting... Uh, bit of political theater, who marches with who and with the parade, um, you know, a lot of political watching, especially in an election year in this uh, city as New York City gears up for 2017, citywide elections, city council elections, all kinds of stuff going on, and we're going to get into it. But first and foremost, well, we got a large agenda today. Um, I want to start actually over in Europe and uh, just to point out the interesting uh, results of the elections in the Netherlands. I know it's a little curveball for you, but the far right party was expected. You know, there was the far right parties. You know, with, with Trump and Brexit and everything, were kind of deemed to be ascendant. And then all of a sudden, we we seem to have had a halt. So the the far right anti immigrant party in the Netherlands does not win, and not only that, just doesn't doesn't really. And you know, if you want to, those of us who believe in this or not those of us who believe, there are those that believe, I want to take those out of it, that, you know, uh, Steve Bannon and company are part of this vanguard of uh, angry white nationalists around the world. 
um, perhaps, and that though that was going to be ascendant in Europe, and you would have in France and Netherlands these these uh, these uh, anti-immigrant parties. That seems to not have happened. The um, center coalition, if you will, uh, kind of held, and you know perhaps that will be a little bit of a wake-up call for for po- politicians around the the world who would now no longer be running for cover or rushing to be as anti-immigrant as possible. Yeah, look, I, <clears throat> we talked about it last week for a moment, some bellwether, quote-unquote, bellwether districts and congressional races right here in the U.S. coming up and how that's going to be some sort of determination. You know, and I even made the claim last week, I'm going to correct myself because I made the claim last week, I think it's too soon. I think it's, you know, a, a couple months. I think we need to give this president um, and even the entire country, entire world, a little bit longer to really get a feel for where people are at. But, I mean, we saw this week um, right here in the U.S. that members of Congress and members of the legislature are literally starting to walk away. Now, not completely walking away, but they're starting to sort of be very... Declare their independence. Correct. Sort of to start being a a bit more bold about their positions on on what President Trump says and what he does. And so I don't believe, you know, know, it's, it's... it's nice to claim you're the populist, but it doesn't necessarily always, be, it's not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make it true. Um, you know, you're entitled to your own opinions, not your own facts, right? The old uh, state, uh, statement from Senator Moynihan. And, and I think that continues to be true, and, and we see it each and every day, whether it's in Europe or right here in the U.S., where we're literally seeing members of the Senate, um, you know, more than just John McCain, who are coming out this week and, and calling for investigations or asking for more facts or, or asking for additional information. Or, you know, we saw the CBA, the CBO report. Um, I mean, literally, you're starting to see... You're starting with more fake news already? Oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting to see uh, more holes in the armor. And I, I think that the more the president goes down this, the, the unpresidential path, you know, and again, we, we've talked about this idea of presidential a lot. Um, he is presidential. He isn't presidential. We all saw the speech uh, that he gave, the quote-unquote State of the Union. Uh, we saw that speech as a move towards being a more mature presidential-like candidate until the tweets started again, and all of a sudden we're right back in the gutter where we started. And so the challenge for the president and the challenge across the world for the hard right, and I will go as far as to say the hard left, is there is a movement for people to want to see things get done. Um, I was very, I was privileged last night. I, I had dinner at, um, at Chop Chop in Washington Heights with... Uh, oh, I should have mentioned we are sitting at Central Perk in Cedars, <laughs> New York. Uh, just two guys having coffee, talking politics. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, I, a little product pleasure. placement there. for. The <laughs> they promised me a free lunch. No, I'm only kidding. Um, but I had a, a great dinner with Senator Joe Lieberman, who basically characterized what's going on here and across the world as sort of uncertain uh, as it relates to U.S.-Israel, as it relates to U.S.-U.S. Um, uncertain. We really just don't know. But he did, and I mean, I think it's something that he always portrayed was sort of this, I'll work with anybody who wants to actually get something done. Um, and, and ultimately, that lost him a primary, right? And so right. he proved it. He was willing to go out there on the mat and prove that um, and not just follow a party because he had to. And so it was an honor to talk to him last night. And he was just as... I don't say baffled is the word because I think we're no one's baffled anymore. We just simply don't understand it, right? We get it. We just don't understand why he continues to do it because it works to a point, right? You want to play this 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 populist message. We've said this. When it comes to governing, you can't just do that. It just doesn't work. Right. Well, that we're finding that out very quickly. And I think you actually remind us, you know, it's 11 years ago already. And I think this, I've pointed to this in the past as being one of the first examples of hyperpartisanship. You know, a lot of Democrats like to look at the Republicans as being uh, very far and, you know, very far to the right, very uh, uh, extreme off the reservation. But if you look at the, what happened in 2006 to Joe Lieberman, 
who was challenged by Ned Lamont, who was a, basically in a political unknown, un, basically defeated, I'm sorry, defeated in the Democratic primary in Connecticut. 2006 had to run as an independent, ended up winning because there was a very weak Republican running at the time. Most Republicans in Connecticut supported him. But, you know, and this was over the Iraq war and his support for the Iraq war. But still, you know, it was this idea that if you're not with us 100 percent on every single issue, and you don't play and you, you reach across the aisle, then you will be taken out in a primary. And that has kind of reverberated, I think, for many years. Over the last 10 years, we have seen just a, an incredible amount of hyperpartisanship in Washington. In fact, elsewhere, I, I think we've seen it in you know, state capitals as well in many cases, is that legislators are afraid to work uh, with each other. And I think that, you know, that 2006 was an a, a election even though Lieberman ended up winning, you know, and he ended up being an independent, he still caucused with the Democrats, but he was still, but, he, you know, he didn't run again um, the, in 2012. And it, that was uh, instructive, I think, to a lot of people in Washington is that let's just play to the base. And now we have that right now happening in Washington where we have uh, the president and the Congress to a lot, to a large degree right now, really just playing to the base. In fact, the, the administration, I'm not saying just the president, but the, you know, uh, Spicer and, and his spokespeople talk about the base. You know, when they're talking about making suits for th things and people going on TV, they're saying, well, you know, his base is very happy with him. His base is very happy with him. So, you know, I had, as you know, I had the distinct pleasure of working in, and I think we started together. We worked on the 2005 reelection campaign of Mike Bloomberg, who, who literally was was the spokesman for that movement, right? I, I think it was the, the, the purple movement, right? You know, you're the not, get stuff done to movement. Exactly. Look, it's not about it's not about right. It's not about left. It's 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 how do I actually move this city forward? And I was very proud to work and learn from Mike Bloomberg, and then after that to work for Chuck Schumer again. You know, put politics aside for a moment. As oh, Chuck Schumer is the leader of the Democratic Party, and, and he's the leader in the Senate. He's the minority leader in the Senate. Yes, I get that. But put that aside for a minute. He has a long history of proving his willingness to work with Republicans, whether it was John McCain on immigration or Lindsey Graham on, on banking reform. He literally has has proven his willingness to work with other people, and that was something that I learned. And then, of course, as we just talked about my former Irish district, who loved to vote conservative. Um, and so even though I'm a Democrat and I have a big D label on me, I worked hand-in-hand hand and, and also got endorsed by the conservative party, which shows a willingness to work. And, and by the way, I learned that from the people who came before me, and, and I think that's so important that we continue down that path of finding ways to get things done. I was in, you know, over the last few days, <clears throat> I was uh, unfortunately got snowed in in Albany. Uh, I went for, for some meetings to see some, some old friends, and, and I got snowed in, in Albany. And the amount of frustration in Albany, but it's not just in Albany, right? It's the amount of frustration when people talk about government. When people hear of government, when they talk about government, it's just people throw their hands up, they can't get anything done. So who's going to be the person who's going to say, I don't care if I get reelected, right? Get up and say, I don't care if I get reelected, but I'm going to come up with real accomplishments. That's the person I want to see. And that's the person I'm going to support. I don't care if they have a D and R or whatever it is before their name. I think that's well said. I think that that type of courage is, you know, I, well, let's just say it's hard to find and, um, you know, it's kind of like the idea of I don't really care if I'm successful in a lot of stuff um, because it's hard, still hard to get stuff done. I mean, you need a lot of people to. I, I totally get what you're saying. Unfortunately, to to some degree, it's just not realistic to say I don't care if I get reelected. It's a nice thought. It's a nice idea. Uh, we'll go with it, but we'll pick it up. We'll we'll, we'll pick it up. No, no, no. Let no, no. I'm misunderstanding. Okay, please. No, no, no. What I mean by that is, very, very simply, it's not that I don't care if I get reelected because I think I'm going to lose. What I, what I mean by that is. 
At the end of the day, people are going to appreciate the effort. They're going to see the work to actually get things done. And and I, by the way, this person who I talk about, this magical um, right. person. <laughs> well, it's okay. It's St. Patrick's Day. You're allowed to talk about imaginary not, <laughs> not only will he get reelected, but I think that's the person who's going to shape the future of our city, our state, and our country. And so I think that that's, you have to go in with that idea. You know, I'm going to do what's in the best interest of the people. Look. Mike Bloomberg did that. And in 2005, maybe it was because of, of you and I working on that campaign. More because of you. But in 2005, he won, even though in 2002 and 2003, he was probably the most hated. People told me they didn't want to stand next to the mayor in 2002, 2003 with the smoking stuff and, and, and so property many Property tax increase. And property taxes, property taxes were going up. And people didn't want to stand next to him. He was so hated in this city. And in 2005, 2006, I was running the Queens campaign. And we won against Freddie Ferrer. Some of Freddie Ferrer's base because the people were just... Wow, okay, you know, I might not like his politics, but he gets things done. Take a look at Chuck Schumer in 2004. It was his first re-election campaign after 98, after the, the blistering 98 campaign against Al D'Amato. In 2004, Chuck Schumer won 61 out of 62 counties in New York State. He, he won conservative Republican counties. How does a liberal Democrat win conservative Republican counties? You know why? It's because he was there every day. He was talking about their issues their jobs, their factories, their potholes, and people couldn't deny it. So I might be an NRA card-carrying conservative. However, Chuck Schumer just works for me, and so I appreciate that. And that's the courage I think we need. I don't know if it exists, but I think that's what, what, our, what we all need in terms of government and trying to reinvigorate some, some, some I mean, people's faith in government. Well, I could also chalk that out to a weak opponent, but we'll, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Let me just say... You know, the reason I bring up the Netherlands is because, and I think this is actually giving the flip side here of the pragmatic, practical politician. I, we, saw the, we saw this week a very, I think, very disgraceful statement from Congressman Steve King of Iowa, who, for some reason, talking about the Dutch elections, talking about we can't reclaim our civilization with someone else's babies, which is just... I, I don't even know. I don't even know where what that means or where to go with that. I mean, it's just say that again. I, I want. I want to make sure that everybody understands. He tweeted something. Um, Wil, Wilders about the guy in the Netherlands. I mean, because I, the point here was that this type of xenophobia is. It's it is it exists here. I mean, even though people don't want, they want to deny it. People in my party want to deny it, and they want to say it, it exists. You have a sitting congressman. Now, now, now he's been a he's been an outlier on immigration um, for a long time, but that seems to be coming back to the mainstream. Wilders understands the culture and demographics are our destiny. We can't restore our civilization with someone else's babies. <laughs> so the idea here is, I get, and he has defended it, you know, basically the whole week to basically the idea here is that we need white babies in order to have our European civilization and those who are outside that are excluded. And yeah, I can't help but thinking that there are, I mean, that's the kind of thing that's been used against the Jews as well. I mean, it's just to have a society that does decided to not be inclusive. And now we're talking about, well, it's a, we're talking about an immigration pause, you know, this idea, you know, with regard to the, that, that there are times in our country that we had to pause immigration, um, like, for example, before World War II, between World War I and World War II, where America turned inward, it was a, a similar type of time, well, and that did not work out very well for our people. Well, look, not to be selfish about it, what I'm saying is, you know, a lot of people, I, I will tell you that a lot of people in the Orthodox community are supportive of restricting immigration even legal immigration um yeah yeah i i and i think that just 
if you want to see the motivation from where it comes from, this is actually, he's actually telling, saying that's the truth. That's what we want. We need to kind of repopulate or re or purify, and I hate to use that word, uh, the population here. And it just, I, I mean, it's so out of bounds. You know, it's so out of bounds. It's so far from anything that the two of us believe in. But unfortunately, it's out there. So I um, uh, I spent a lot of time talking with students, and, and this comes up all the time, right? You talk about oh, by the way, I should mention he had like hundred you know, at the time. I mean, maybe I had seventy five thousand retweets. <laughs> I can't. Well, I don't speak to that. I don't. Yeah, know. you never well, know. You don't know who's real and who's not real. That's true. Um, what I would say is. You know, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. I mean, take a look what happened leading up to World War One, right? The U.S. was was very isolationist. You know, presidents won on this idea of we're going to stay out of other people's of Europe's problems. World War Two, World War One started before World War One, right? We ended up getting in and, and sort of, you know, we ended up getting into World War One, and, and then at the end of the war, we didn't join the League of Nations right, because correct. we don't, we get don't want to. We don't want that problem. We don't right, want right, that. Right, again. Right. It was sort of like, I think it was. And you'll appreciate this, right? It was it was the conservative presidents at the time who said, "We just let's take care of ourselves." Leading up to World War II, we had a similar problem because now you had to kind of shift, right? All of a sudden, we're seeing it's not just Europe's problems; they really are our problems, and and we had to see that shift. And I think we learned after World War II is that we have a responsibility to to be involved and to to, to stay involved. And so, it's a scary thought that we're going back to this way of thinking that got us into so much trouble in the beginning in, in the first place, 100 years ago. I mean, that's what we're talking about, going back to the policies that, that, that created world wars. And, uh, and quite frankly, I think it's scary. I think it's scary because you and I both know we joke about how many tweets and retweets, but like, people believe this. People really yeah. believe this. And, and you don't have to look harder than the high school history books to take a look at, at what was in our past and, and where if we continue down this path, we'll go in the future. Now, the beauty is, and, and I think you'll agree with me, is we really don't know what the policies of, of this president are. I mean, we don't. I mean, we think, you know, he, he's said a numerous times, well, I'm just keeping campaign promises, right? Like, you know, whether I believed it, I didn't believe it, I'm keeping campaign promises. And so I, I don't know. I, I think it's way too soon to really understand and appreciate how this president is going to mature in office, how he's going to handle his, continue to handle his job, and whether he's going to continue down this path of, I mean, you can't. Say, I, I don't want to say it's divisive. Like he is. I'm not. I'm not calling him out. The simple facts are: it is creating a division. I'm not giving the Democrats a pass. Let's be clear. I'm not saying that Democrats are doing everything right and he's doing everything wrong. But he's the president. He's the leader of this country, and and it's his job to make sure that leaders lead. Right. Well, we can say that's an excellent segue. This is Spin Class here on the Malcolm Siegel Network. Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder talking politics from Central Park in Cedarhurst, New York. And we do see some of his budget priorities because the skinny budget, if you will, which is includes discretionary spending in Washington, is out. And it's quite startling. Um, not in a sense that I want to go ahead and uh, not a judgment. It's just startling the amount of cuts that are made in certain agencies. Um, now, people can say, well, we don't need these agencies. We don't need them. They don't, don't exist. You know. I would say generally there is waste, fraud, abuse, bloatedness in government. But you, you go ahead and cut agencies by 10%, by 20%, by 30%. 
you make it very difficult for them to fulfill any mission and mandate. And they all have legal mandates that they have to go ahead. I mean, just to give you some examples, EPA being cut by 30%, State Department being cut by 29%. I mean, not a good, you know, <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump goes out and recruits a, a Rex Torreson, the CEO of ExxonMobil, the largest company in the world, okay? The guy was, you know, and he has basically said, hey, go ahead, leave the State Department. I won't give you any deputies because I'm not going to approve any of them. You know, Rex Torreson famously wanted Elliot as his deputy, he still has been unable to find anybody, and now he's got to take a thirty percent hit. You want the job? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, agriculture twenty percent down. Labor twenty percent down. Justice, which is interesting, you cut the Justice Department twenty percent. Uh, health and Human Services sixteen percent. Commerce sixteen percent. Education fourteen percent. Transportation thirteen percent. HUD twelve percent. And they're looking to get rid of the Community Block Development Cut uh, Program, which is which funds lots of local programs around you know and for small amounts of money. And the only the beneficiaries here are v- Veterans Affairs, Homeland Security, and Defense. Defense going up a whopping ten percent. Uh, to you know, a five fifty-two million dollars. Now look, and no, t- not touching entitlements at all right now. I mean, that's the thing. You know, no, nothing about Social Security, nothing about Medicare. Which, truthfully, anybody who knows Washington, anybody who knows actually is in any state house knows that these entitlements are in any government. That these entitlements need to be reformed. Otherwise, they will be no. Uh, you know, the federal budget just can't survive it. Plus, the fact I should point out here is that. I should just point out here that the interest on the debt has now gone gone up significantly as the Fed has just raised interest rates. So we see some of the priorities going on here, and I got to tell you, it's going to be it's going to be a bloodbath on Washington. So I, you know, look. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I don't have an issue with cuts. I mean, again, I know I'm. I'm no the, cuts are okay. No cuts are okay. There's, 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 there's a there's a cut and there's an amputation. It's what we call these it, are amputations. It's it's responsible cutting, right? It's looking at it. You know, when 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 the when we first started, you know, the president said, "Well, for every new regulation, we have to get rid of two. You can't blanketly say like for every new regulation you get rid. of It just doesn't work that way, right? Again. We have talked about the challenges of governing, right? You can't just make a blanket statement. Well, for every new regulation, you have to get rid of two. Now, I'm not saying that we aren't bloated and there's not too many regulations. I actually believe that. Oh, I think we are. And, and I believe it. We have too many agencies. We have too many people working for the federal government. We, there's no question about it. It's huge. It's massive. But that doesn't mean, you know, within a couple days, you just go ahead and wholesale um, you know, go ahead and and attack in this way. See, I think most people look at, at President Trump, and, and no one is not. You know, maybe we've said it, and I and it's kind of odd for me to be saying this because I am a big believer in smaller government. I watched in Albany as the as and look in New York City as the as the budget continues to bust. I mean, it's just incredible. Over 150 billion dollars this year in New York State. Um, I remember when passing, getting to the 50 billion mark in in uh, in New York. Which was only like 12, 13 years ago, or maybe a little long, bit more, maybe fifteen yeah, not years too ago. Yeah, not long ago. Um, but I, you know, I think people would have been happier saying, "Look, let's you know, let's make some some cuts just for the sake of saying we're making a one percent cut, a two percent cut for the purposes of of making a statement saying I'm not going to allow it to continue to get bloated." But then doing something a bit more thoughtful, right? Let's take a look at every agency and and let's maybe even appoint somebody. By the way, let's let's find one person who's going to be our our chief budget you know cutter right he's going to go look at every agency and talk to every secretary and and do his due diligence and then come up with a plan that's realistic what we're seeing now is politics at its worst now i said certain nice things about mike bloomberg before but i want let's go back to the budget dance in new york city i think people here will appreciate people who are listening to our show will appreciate every single year the mayor proposed closing certain firehouses every single year 
only for the city council and the community to, to, to protest and to rally and to fight only for every year the firehouse is to be restored. Now, I'm very familiar because it was always, there was always one in Far Rockaway that, that I was a big, a, a, I was always opposed to having cut. But this was just a game. It was a, essentially a game. We're going to set our bar so low so that when I give you a little bit back, it seems like you made a victory. We would run around after the firehouses were restored in the city budget, and we thought we just won the lottery. Think about that. If he wouldn't have proposed cutting them, we wouldn't have had to, to, to fight to, to get them back. And so even in administrations that you believe in, sometimes I think we do this budget dance, and I think that this is what this president is doing. He's well, it's an opening negotiation. He says he's a negotiator, et cetera. I, I, uh, I, I disagree. I, I mean, I agree with that totally. I mean, I, I know that there's going to be that dance. The interesting thing is now how does the Republican Congress react to it? And, you know, you want to go ahead and... you. <clears throat> You know, it's the legislature is always going to try and add things back. But we got a lot to cover in a, a little bit of time. I want to switch gears now to uh, the wiretapping because I think that that is a the case. What? Well, exactly. The what? The, the, that is a case of the president undercutting his own message. Uh, you know, he want to go ahead and do a conservative principles budget and you want to go ahead and enact health care and you want to go ahead and get your legislative agenda done. At the same time, you're making these claims and, you know, distraction, yes, but it, do, it doesn't help you with your legislative agenda to go ahead and claim that the president before you was had you wiretapped. And then you say, well, wiretapped in quotes. I didn't really mean wiretapped. <laughs> it could have been a microwave. It could have been. I mean, there's just no consistency to this. And now, you know, the, the one thing here, he, he is not going to be able to get out from some of these investigations. There's going to be hearings to say, and the FBI is going to have to go before Congress and say, did this happen? And they're going to have to actually answer questions under oath of that. So... Even Devin Nunes, who has been Trump allies, the head of the intelligence committee, he said, if I'm supposed to take the president literally, it didn't happen, which is extraordinary when you think about this is this is a, a, a committee chairman who has basically said I'm with the president and doesn't even want to investigate some of the Russia allegations. You know, that's Mike, politics. Michael, we're not talking about Russia anymore, are we? We're not talking. Well, we are continuing to talk about Russia because that is actually. I believe that the wiretapping is continuing to give legs to this to a lot of these outlandish claims, and we keep going ahead and doing it. I think there is a point. I think I agree with you that there is a certain amount of distraction. We talked about it last week. I think there was there was this was planned. The problem is is that you don't really have anybody else to distract to. There's no other candidate in the race. There's no 16 Republicans that you can make fun of. You can't focus the attention on anybody else. I think that that's what he tries to do is he wants to focus on Clinton. He wants to focus on Obama. He doesn't want to focus, doesn't want to focus on himself. But right now, all the attention is going to be on can he pass health care? You know, can he repeal the ACA? Can he go ahead and do that? All these things that he needs to do, and he's not going to be able to do that. Yeah, no, I look, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I, I wish I had an answer. I wish I could understand it. We, we've talked about this. I mean, we've been talking about this nonstop. And, and the in, what's the purpose? What's the purpose? Why do it? What are you gaining? What are you gaining from the tweets? What you, I'm not saying Twitter can't be a useful tool. It's funny looking back and going back to talk about the same history, right? The whole thing that got us into World War, World War II was FDR and his, his use of the new technology at the time in radio, right? Fireside chats. We talked about this for a moment last week. But... I don't have an issue with new mediums, right? Didn't they say it was the, the first televised debate with that, that, that sunk it for Richard Nixon? Yep. Right? These new mediums, they're ups and downs, and, and it actually takes getting used to. So I don't have an issue with that, but you have to be responsible, right? I mean... Well, that's the point, is that he's, you know, it's a, the bomb-throwing idea. Okay, I can be... But you can be bomb-thrower when you're on the outside, and you can throw things out there, but you can't do it when you actually own the place. 
It's yours. And, right. I mean, he owns the White House. This He's is his there. Justice Department. So it's his you, agency. You know, it's there? like if you want to start a fire in the re- in the East Wing or the West Wing, you got to be the one to also put it out. <laughs> you know, it, it's just it's just this funny thing. It's like okay, now that. So as we close, uh, I think very importantly, the biggest news in New York politics this week is the firing of Preparara. And uh, I know that you are a Schumer guy. You've mentioned it even on this show. Um, you try and hide it, but Preeper are also a Schumer guy. Was was a pol- <laughs> what was his politics? Was the politics here? Was he a casualty of the Trump Schumer? friendship souring interestingly enough again and what's interesting about preet because whether i think there's a lot of elected officials and a lot of people on wall street and a lot of people all over the place who are under investigation who feel somehow like vindicated that 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 that, that this uh that preet is gone i did have a chance to to work with preet just for a for a brief time when i worked we overlapped at senator schumer's office and i think what makes his firing more interesting than Many others, right? Because let's be clear, by the way, he wasn't just the only U.S. attorney across. I think the number was was 50 or, or maybe, maybe 46, even 40. Yeah, maybe, like there was a number who were asked to submit their resignation. He refused. He said, you want, you want me gone and you have to fire me. But what makes it most interesting is that he actually met with right. President-elect Trump at Trump Tower before the election. And he said afterwards that I've been asked to stay on. And so that, I think, is what is most bizarre here, is that it's not like he was just sort of one of those uh, U.S. attorneys who were kind of hanging on and asked to stay until the Justice Department could figure it all out. He was actually asked to stay on, presumably because that was at the time the president maybe thought that, you know, great, we're going to keep our, we're going to keep New York Democrats on the run. Preet's been going after these guys relentlessly. I don't have to tell you, he brought down uh, Speaker Shelley Silver and, and Dean Skelos and and maybe half a dozen other of my, my former colleagues. And so maybe the president thought at the time it was a good idea to keep him on for, you know, to keep the New York Dems on the run. And then all of a sudden, Friday again, as we, Friday night, I don't know. As, as it happens. I mean, it really was pretty shocking. Where news, was Ivanka? I, I, <laughs> I have to say it was pretty shocking news. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, the, the crazy thing here is that, you know, he clearly had this idea that he was going to be staying on. It is totally at the discretion of the president to go ahead and appoint U.S. attorneys. Absolutely, should be able to have that. But when it happened in the Bush administration, when Roberto Gonzalez went ahead and fired a number of U.S. attorneys, I think it was only eight of them at the time right. in just a haphazard manner. That's right. He ended up, that ended up being the downfall of him as attorney general. That's right. So with that, we will have to pick it up next week here on Spin Class here on the Malcolm Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.